nothing resonated in the hearts of the early disciples and in the hearts of those who were saved during the Jesus movement and really in every revival in the last 2,000 years more than the urgency of the second coming of Christ. It was the signs of the times, it was the evidence of the hour that drove people to believe that Jesus could come back in their lifetime. The early disciples believed that. Every generation has believed that. Just because it has been delayed does not mean it will not happen. It will happen. It energized evangelism in my generation. It was the source and the core, if you will, of the music and the messages of that time. You heard more sermons on the second coming in the late 1960s and early 70s than probably you've heard in the last 40 years. Why? Because there was an urgency to share the gospel. There was this sense of urgency that our friends needed to know. Let me give you a summary statement for this message this morning. We should live as if Jesus died last night, rose this morning, and is coming again tonight. We should live with that kind of urgency. Now let me ask you something. If you got a tip that Jesus was coming tonight, what would be different about today? Because he could. You say, well, I don't think he will. Well, you don't know when. Even Jesus doesn't know when. He says, only the Father knows. And he's going to tell me one day, go get your church. You don't know. I don't know when he's coming. But we know this. He said he's coming. That means he's coming. Right? And so we should live with that kind of urgency. Now, I want us to look at a very long passage of Scripture, but it has a very simple application. And as we look at this, you're going to find yourself in this message in one of two places. Ready for Christ's return or not. There won't be any in between. If you're lost and don't know Christ as your personal Savior, you're not ready for his return. If you know him, are you living in a way that you're ready to meet him? So we're either ready for his return or we are not. So let's pick up in Luke chapter 17. Luke 17. What is it? about these words that captured the hearts and the minds of those first generation followers of Jesus and every other generation since then, that Jesus generation that rises up within every generation to make a difference for the kingdom. Luke 17, verse 22. And he said to the disciples, the days will come when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. They will say to you, Look there, look here. Do not go away and do not run after them. For just like the lightning when it flashes out of one part of the sky, shines to the other part of the sky, so will the Son of Man be in his day. In other words, it's going to be quick. It's going to be sudden. Verse 25. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Some people just probably thought all Noah was building was a souped up houseboat. And he was. It was a houseboat for those that God was going to save out of that world. And it was the same, verse 28, as happened in the days of Lot. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, 
They were planting and they were building. But on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, the one who is on the housetop and whose goods are in the house must not go down to take them out. And likewise, the one who is in the field must not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you that on that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other will be left. There will be two women grinding at the same place. One will be taken and the other will be left. Two men will be in the field and one will be taken and the other will be left. Now, let's not get lost in the weeds here. Okay, Jesus didn't say one thing about a dispensational chart. Jesus did not say one thing about are you pre-trib rapture, mid-trib rapture, post-trib rapture, are you amillennial, pre-millennial. He didn't say anything. He said, when I come, it's going to be sudden. You don't need a chart to figure that out. Now, men have made charts trying to figure out the coming of Jesus. That's why in every generation, there's some guy who says, you know, Jesus is going to come back on this day. And he doesn't come back. Why? Because God's not going to tell him if he hadn't told his own son. And so you don't need to get lost in the weeds. Here's what Jesus is saying. There needs to be a suddenness to our lives. There needs to be an urgency to our lives because the day is coming when the day will be over. And you don't have time to worry and try to figure out all this. So there are two simple examples that he gives. And they have profound consequences. Jesus does not say to the people that he's talking to, let me name you the top five things on the sin list as far as I'm concerned. What Jesus says is you need to pay attention to what will be happening when I return. The days of Noah. Look at verse 27. The people were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage. Now, Simon Peter in his epistle says that the people in the days of Noah were willfully ignorant. They chose to be ignorant of the things of God. Although that there was something obviously different going on, they chose to ignore it. They chose to be different. So Jesus doesn't mention bad things. Here's what he says. I'm going to come back when people are living like I'm not going to come back. When people are just going about their business, doing what they want to do the way they want to do it, and they think I'm never going to show up and I'm never going to hold anybody accountable and I'm never going to judge, that's the day I'm coming back. Uh, that could be April 2nd, 2017. Because this world is filled with people just doing what they want to do. They're marrying, they're being given in marriage, they're eating, they're drinking, they're just going through life. Jesus says, you want to know what it's going to be like when I come back? People are just going to be going through life. There's not going to be any great announcement. There's not going to be a two-minute warning. You got two minutes to get ready. I remember the, the Jesus movement was so strong and its influence was so strong. There was a guy named uh, Buddy Hornaday that was in our wedding. And, and on our wedding day in 1974, we were talking, all the groomsmen, we were talking about the second coming of Christ while we were waiting for the wedding to start. And I remember Buddy said to me, he said, I, I hope he goes in alphabetical order because I'm in the H's. It at least gives me some time to maybe 
date a girl or get married or something by the time he gets to me. No, there's not going to be any warning like that. He's just going to come. So we need to examine our conversations. We need to examine our life. Are we, as the body of Christ, basically outside of coming to church, just eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage and giving no thought to the fact that there's going to come a day when those that we know and people that we love and work with and go to school with, that there's going to come a day when they will be lost forever because they missed it. So he talks about the days of Noah. Then he talks about the days of Lot. Now look at what he says in the days of Lot in verse 28. He adds a little something, eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, and building. So Jesus adds buying. Well, that's a necessity. You know, you got to buy especially on, on the Friday after Thanksgiving. So, uh, selling. So there's business going on. There are business transactions going on. Planting. Farmers are doing their job. Building houses and, buildings and, and businesses. And all of these, there's nothing evil about this. It's just that the world is self-absorbed. It's just about themselves. It's just about what's going on in their life. They get in their little huddle and they live in their house and go to their job and do their things. And, and Christianity is siloed over here on a corner somewhere, but it doesn't impact the way we live our lives. It doesn't impact our conversations, how we treat people, how we respond in crisis. It doesn't change us at the core of our being. And so what Jesus is saying here is that if you want to know what it's going to be like when I come back, the world is going to be filled with self-centered, narcissistic people. Does that sound anything like today? The world is going to be filled with self-centered, narcissistic people. So, the nation of Israel has been established since 1948. And all the signs are in place. And we are a self-centered, narcissistic world. And Jesus said, if you want to know what it's like when the Son of Man comes, it's going to be like the days of Noah and the days of Lot. 2,000 plus years after I'm gone, people are just going to be doing what they want to do and never thinking about the consequences and never thinking about how their life impacts the eternity of someone else. Now here's the key. The only person who understands the times is the person who sees the times in light of the living word, Jesus, and the written word. The only person who understands the times in which we live, because people just pick up the newspaper, they watch Fox or CNN, or, or they check it online, they, they check their news, fake news, real news, good news, bad news, they just check it all, and it never dawns on them to look at what's going on in light of the living word and the written word. They, they never say, this is a great way to read your Bible. Read, read your Bible in one hand and a newspaper or some kind of news thing in the other hand and see how God says, this is what it's going to be. This is what it's going to be. This is how people are going to act. This is what's going to be going on. People are going to think, I'm not coming back. I'm not going to judge. They didn't think that in the days of Noah. They didn't think it in the days of Lot. But I did and I will. So, these are signs that are prevalent at the time of Christ. It's what was happening when I was growing up. When I got saved in the Jesus movement, people were eating and drinking. And my dad had a drugstore, and we, 
I worked for him and we played sports and all that stuff. And, but when Christ got a hold of my life, I realized that some of the people that I was eating with and the people that I was dating and the people that I was hanging around with and the things that I was doing and the things that I was thinking were not giving an indication that Christ was coming soon. And it changed the direction of my life. So Jesus says to them and us, this is the environment that I'm going to come in. Now all of this is in the context of the Pharisees asking a question about the coming of the kingdom of God. When would it come? And so Jesus says, here's what it's not going to be. You're not going to read it in your horoscope. It's not going to be in a palm reader. It's not going to be from a fortune teller. When I come, it's going to be sudden like lightning with eternal consequences. And the key is, you need to be ready. We don't know the hour, but we do know there is an hour coming when Christ will return. The kingdom of God arrived at the first coming of Jesus, but it doesn't fully complete and come to fruition until his second coming. So let me just give you a little encouragement. Don't waste your time trying to figure out signs. You know enough to be busy about the business of God. I mean, you can get all your prophecy charts out. I mean, if I announced a prophecy conference, we'd be packed. We'd have people coming out of the rafters. We'd have people that only go to church on Easter and Christmas that show up for a prophecy conference because prophecy tickles our ears. Here's the problem with studying prophecy. It doesn't burden your heart. Oh, I know things about the second coming of Jesus that these people don't know. Well, if you knew it and you really knew it, you'd do something about it by telling somebody that Jesus is coming back and they're going to spend eternity in hell if they don't get right with Jesus before he comes or before they die. So Jesus says you need to make sure you're ready. The kingdom of God is in your midst. Some translations say the kingdom of God is within you. The Greek Preposition means within or among or in the midst of. So here's two things. First of all, you can't be in the kingdom if you reject the king. If you have rejected the king, you're not going to be in the kingdom. This, this idea that all dogs go to heaven and everybody goes to heaven, there's, there's no hell and there's not really a purgatory. And even if you're in purgatory, you spend enough time in purgatory, you finally get a, you can pass go card and you get a couple of hundred dollars and you get to go to heaven. You can't find that in the Bible and Jesus never said it, so it's not true. You cannot get into the kingdom if you reject the king. If somebody says, well, I love God, but I don't believe in Jesus, they are not in the kingdom. They're not in the kingdom. If somebody says, well, I love God and I love Jesus, but he's just a prophet like a lot of other prophets, they're not in the kingdom. You don't add or take away from Jesus because if you try to add to him or take away from him, you've totally diminished who he is. So if you don't know the king, you're not in the kingdom. Secondly, don't get obsessed with coming events and miss present opportunities. Don't get so obsessed with coming events that you miss the present opportunities. So there's a simple fact with eternal consequences. The second coming is going to be without warning. Here, here's what's going to happen. Uh, people are going to be sitting at their bank signing a mortgage. Getting a loan. Somebody's going to be at the drive-thru dropping off money. Somebody's going to be going through the drive-thru picking up some food and something to drink on their way to work. 
or on their way home. Somebody's going to be going to the grocery store to pick up some bread and milk. Student's going to be about to take a test. A student's going to be about to walk on the field and compete in some game. Somebody's about to plant seed in the ground. Somebody's about to, to go out on vacation and, and take a trip somewhere. And in that moment, when they least expect it, Jesus Christ is going to come in the sky and the church is going to be taken out. And the chance for you to share the gospel with anybody is over. It's over. I wonder if for a millisecond, if before we get into the presence of Jesus, we will think about the people we could have and should have shared Christ with that we didn't because we were afraid we would offend them or we were afraid that they would not like us. And so we stayed quiet. Well, as we depart to be with Jesus, we know that they're headed for an eternal hell. Does that bother us? Does that impact us in any way? I know this. There was no weather forecast of rain the day that the flood started. I know this. No meteorologist said there seems to be the possibility that a fireball is going to come out of the sky and consume Sodom and Gomorrah. There was no warning that this was the moment, this was the day, this was the time that it would happen. Nobody predicted it, but God did it. And our responsibility is to realize that we do not know when Christ will return, but we are to be ready to share the gospel as if he could come today. So just, let's just go back to January. Two storms. In those storms, and I've heard more people talk about going to their safe room in the last three months than I've heard in the last 28 years here. You know, I went to my safe room. There are people that didn't get to a safe room. Those storms came without warning. And people didn't have time to go say, oh, well, let me gather up all my picture albums and, and get the quilt that Meemaw made me. And, and let me see, oh, gosh, I just bought this shirt at the mall and I need to make sure I got it. I hadn't even worn it yet. I want to make sure I get it. You know what they got out with? They got out with the clothes on their back. Why? Because although we knew a storm was coming, you didn't know who it was going to hit. And so in the first storm, people woke up with trees in their houses. There was no announcement. Nobody walked on the door and said, you know, your root system is shallow and this tree is leaning and it's going to hit your house before this night is over. There was no warning. There was no warning when the tornado came through a mile and a quarter wide. There was no warning where it was going, what it was going to do, and people died because they didn't take seriously or they didn't get out on time. And, and so when he, when he says in verse 32, remember Lot's wife, here's what he's saying. Lot's wife thought she had time to take care of what she wanted to take care of. And she wanted to grab hold of that evil world in which she lived and that stuff that she had collected and hoarded or whatever she had done, she wanted to grab all the stuff of this world that she could and take it with her. And God said, there's no time for that. You just need to be ready to go. You just need to be ready to go. You see, with, with her... 
The time was now. With us, the time is today. And if we cannot take our eyes off things we can't keep, we're not ready. We're not ready. So one decision for a lifetime of eternity. Here's the question. What are you going to do with Jesus? Today's the day to decide. Now's the moment. The devil always says, wait. Do it tomorrow. Put it off. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Today is your opportunity. If Jesus were to return, there are no do-overs. There are no second chances. Whatever you intend to do for Jesus, I would submit to you, do it now. Because you don't know how long you've got. You don't know when he's coming back. You don't know when you're going to breathe your last breath. And that lost relative that you've tried to share Christ with and they hadn't listened, and so it's been years since you've talked to them, might be a good time to talk again. That neighbor that, you know, doesn't clean his yard up like you think it ought to be cleaned up or whatever, you just don't want to, you know, you just kind of drive in your driveway, open your garage, pull the garage down, and go in and just try to pretend that you don't really live there. Might want to talk to them. That person that you go to school with and that you sit by and you've gone through all these grades with them and you've watched them grow up, they've watched you grow up, you, your parents know each other, but you've never talked to them about a relationship with Christ. Be a good time to start. You know, a lot of teenagers are going to make tragic decisions this week during spring break because they're physically mature and emotionally they're nursery. That's why in six to eight weeks, our crisis pregnancy center will be flooded with teenage girls because they went out on a spring break and thought nothing about the consequences of a frivolous moment. I want to ask you something. Who do you know? If Jesus died last night and rose this morning and is coming back tonight, who do you know that needs to know what you know before it's too late for them to know? Because you're the missionary to them. You're the one. You're in their circle of influence. You're in their life. You know them. They know you. You, you have the platform. You're not a cold call walking up on a door and saying, hey, I'd like to share Jesus with you. You're the one that knows them. Who do you need to sit down and talk to this week? Who do you need to invite to Easter? Who do you need to beg for the love of the gospel to do something about a relationship with Christ? What's your life like? Let me, let me ask you this. What, would your neighbors, outside of the fact they know you get up and come to church, would your neighbors say there's really, really any difference between you and them? Eating, drinking, marrying, building, buying, selling, planning. All doing the same stuff. But is there any difference? Is there a sense of urgency in us? I've wasted too many days where it's not been urgent with me. Is there a sense of urgency with us that today could be the day and this 
could be the hour. Look in, look in your notes at this quote. It came out of a publication of Campus Crusade that Bill Douglas gave me a copy of from the early 70s, a student action. I want you to just read down through this, and then I'm going to pick up with the last paragraph that you'll see on the screens. Tens of thousands of Christian students are on the move. Remember the day when Christians confined themselves to church building, the sacred concert, and the Sunday school picnic? Not anymore. There's a new generation of Christians who aren't satisfied with business as usual. They see hungry, lonely people who are desperately busy, involved in awkward attempts to empty and empty struggles to give life continuity. Christians are convinced that the Jesus Christ is the only permanent cure for this emptiness. He makes life solid and significant. Christians see a void and they know that Christ can fill it and are getting out where the emptiness is, where the people are. Christians are in the streets. That's where we're supposed to be, folks. Amen. Our mission begins the minute we drive off this property. It's safe in here. Oh, we can sing, we can clap, we can pray, we can fellowship. It's safe in here. But it's out there that needs us. Christians are in the streets. Our students are going, about 35 of them are going to uh, New Orleans this week to just help one of our church planners there. Now I'm going to tell you this, and I'm just, I'm, I didn't ask permission, but I'm just going to tell you anyway. We got some students in our church that cannot go because they couldn't write out and share a personal testimony. In our church, could not write out and share a personal testimony. And some parents that didn't like it because they ought to be able to go. Now listen, why would you do a mission trip to go not do something that you're supposed to be going to do? This is not a trip to Six Flags to ride the roller coasters. It's called a mission trip. And the greater concern of the parents should have been, if my child doesn't have a testimony, they could be going to hell. Rather than going and talking to the youth minister about why they can't go on a trip, you ought to talk to your kids about why they don't have a testimony. Now, if you get mad about that, you're mad about the wrong thing. The wrong thing. So if you start talking about it, you just revealed you're mad about the wrong thing. Because I want to tell you something. He's not responsible to take anybody on a mission trip that can't share their faith. Why, why would we do that? I mean, let's just go to Disney World and ride rides. It's a mission trip. These streets around here, they're not the same streets that they were when I came in 1989. Population is age, they become rental property, people are in and out of this neighborhood all the time. And it's real easy just to drive in, come in from any four directions, park your car, walk on the campus, and forget that all around us is lostness. It's lostness. Now, I'm not telling you anything you probably don't know, but we had a few people who didn't like the fact that we closed off this parking lot over here by the youth building so the kids could play basketball. Kids from the neighborhood could come and play basketball. 
and they didn't like it because they lost their parking space. Can I tell you something? We're using that parking space better than your car is. Because 19 kids have gotten saved because we closed off, closed off the parking space. If you don't like that, that's okay. Garrett's been teaching our students on Wednesday night about sharing their faith. We've had 11 kids come to Christ since January on Wednesday nights. Let me ask you something. When's the last time in your Sunday school class you went around the room to verify that everybody in the room had a testimony? I didn't ask you if they had a quarterly. Do they have a testimony? Because I tell you, there are lost people that are members of this church sitting in this room right now. And there are lost people sitting in our Sunday school classes. And if all we do is teach lessons and never teach life, then we've wasted people's time. There's an urgency to the hour. And if you're saved, are you living as if Jesus died last night, he rose this morning, he's coming again tonight? And if you're lost, are you aware that he could come back or you could die and you would be without Christ if you don't know him?